Welcome to episode number 48. Have you had any gut health issues before? Bloating, regular pain, issues with specific foods? Or maybe you've been given a diagnosis of IBS, but you're still having issues even after treatment. If you said yes to any of these things, then this chat today is definitely for you. So stay on the line. Before we dive in, I just wanted to share my personal mission with you to give you some context to the podcast and online content that I put out simply because I get a lot of inquiries about what I do for people. So here it goes. My mission is to help 150 people to create and live the healthy lifestyle that they truly deserve before December 2020. That's my mission for the next year, and that's going to be utilizing things like nutritional therapy, intermittent fasting, and sleep and stress management, all encapsulated in a single program. That's my mission for the next 12 months, and I really hope that you can be a big part of that. Anyhow, IBS, let's dive into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Welcome back to another interview episode of the show, which has actually been running quite well this year. And after recently reaching 10,000 downloads, and probably by the time this episode airs, goes to air, it's probably going to be 11 or 12,000 downloads. My goal for next year, which I would love you to be a part of for the end of 2020, is to now go for the 100,000 downloads. So that's a you know huge number. So if you like what you're hearing or you learn anything or believe someone you know needs to hear what we're talking about on these shows, please share it with a friend or online with your community and help me create as many healthy friends as possible just like you. Speaking of healthy friends though, we have an amazing guest on the show today whom has actually been kind enough to provide me with a speaking opportunity within her business talking about intermittent fasting. But today, we're going to be talking about gut problems and more specifically, irritable bowel syndrome or IBS. I'm with functional nutrition educator, Kira Whitman, who has a master's degree in health and nutrition and also has further education from the School of Applied Functional Medicine and the Institute of Functional Medicine. And with all of this amazing education and knowledge, she runs an online coaching and consulting business called A Nourished Life, where she helps women deal with chronic digestive issues. And that's exactly the type of thing we're going to dive into today. So a big warm welcome to the show, Kira. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm super good. The sun is shining. There are no clouds in the sky and I'm here with you. (laughs) Sounds like a good morning there. (laughs) It's a great morning. So after interviewing a great collective of health professionals and practitioners on the show and specifically those on the natural side of the equation, I've learned that most people venture into this space due to their own health journey and it is What I find is it's most often accompanied with the fact that the conventional Western allopathic medical approach was was discovered to be, let's say, not as effective as maybe we were once told it might be. Is that a similar case for you in your journey? (laughs) Yes, spot on. That's exactly what happened. (laughs) I was the girl that dealt with digestive issues and IBS from infancy, went through all the conventional rigmarole didn't get any help and started studying nutrition on my own. Okay. And how many years were you bouncing between different potential solutions and experimenting with different treatments? Oh, gosh. 
easily 10 years, if not longer. I mean, as a child, I didn't know anything better and my, my parents didn't really know anything better. So they just took me to different conventional doctors who essentially labeled me with IBS. And everyone would say something slightly different, like try taking this out of your diet or try this medication. But um, it wasn't until my 20s when I started asking for more answers and saying, this doesn't seem right. I don't feel like I should have to live with this all of my life. And so, yeah, I would say a good 10, 10 15 years. Yeah, so that's a, that's a long time. So yeah. IBS was a foundational problem for you. And over a number of years, you've obviously managed to solve that problem for yourself and a number of other people. But for the listeners, can you please share with us exactly what is IBS? Yeah, so... <laughs> IBS, I I like to say it's a fancy diagnosis for a collection of symptoms because every person is different. Some present with chronic constipation, some have chronic diarrhea, some go back and forth, some have stomach pain. So there is not a definitive diagnosis, unfortunately. It's more based on a collection of symptoms and other things being ruled out. Like, oh, you don't have celiac, you don't have ulcerative colitis based on your symptoms, therefore you must have IBS. Yeah, right. I I feel some sense of relation in regards to cancer in the sense that the term is really an umbrella term for a collection of diseases that have a myriad of different indicators and symptoms and problems and there there are so many variables and it's just not that specific. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm really curious, why is IBS becoming so widespread? I know that when I was prepping for this episode, I did a bit of homework, of course, and you know, discovered that the Mayo Clinic, as of 2018 data, say that it is somewhere between 10 to 15% of the population have IBS, whether they're diagnosed or not. So why is that number, firstly, why is that number that number? And why is it growing? I think there's a few things uh, or a few reasons why. I mean, first off, we've got changes in the microbiome. So, I mean, things are constantly changing in our environment. Uh, Unfortunately, people, not all, but many people take antibiotics on an annual basis, it seems like, for sinus infections or random uh, infections that come along. So antibiotics are given out like crazy, which completely change the microbiome, as you know. I think we've become a culture of germaphobes. (laughs) I'm hoping that's changing. Everyone was, you know, using the hand sanitizers and you couldn't go anywhere without finding them. So we stopped getting the good bacteria. People stopped going outside. They're inside. They're on social media. They're on video games. So they're not getting the good germs. And then we live in a high stress environment. People don't know how to relax anymore. And I'll be honest, I'm guilty of that myself. And that (laughs) can lead to IBS symptoms. And then, of course, most important of all would be food choices. I mean, I don't know what it looks like there in Australia, but (laughs) here in America, there's a fast food restaurant on every single corner. And because we're so stressed out, who has time to cook? Let's just roll through the drive-thru. Yeah, totally. I think especially working in a hospital, you know, we're washing our hands with chlorhexidine like, what? I don't know. 10 times a day minimum. It's insane. I don't even work on the ward. I'm in the lab. I I rarely go to the ward, you know. So 10 times a day is minimum for me. And I totally agree with that. And the other thing too is I don't think everyone realizes that our skin has its own microbiome. And when we have disrupted that, it disrupts the the microbiomes in other parts of our body too. It's it's always a multi-pronged fork, you know. 
Yeah, you bring up a good point. So one thing I tell my clients is if you're not willing to eat it, don't put it on your skin. And a lot of people look at me like I'm crazy. And I'm not saying that you physically want to go out there and eat abortion, but that's exactly why your skin is your largest organ. You're going to be absorbing that into your bloodstream faster than if you're eating it. So yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now I just have some weird vision of people rubbing hamburgers on their body. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess food is always the biggest part or it seems to be a common theme at least on this podcast is is the food you know I talk about it my guests talk about it and you know which is the bigger problem in in your professional opinion is it is it that people are eating such terrible food just period the quality's really low or is it that people are eating such a low number of different foods so you know limited diversity for long periods of time so you know they're only being exposed to 5 or 10 foods a week for virtually ever mm, that's a good question i would say it's a pretty even split so i've got quite a few clients that come in that are just eating a standard american diet you know lots of fast food maybe some soda or just not a lot of fruits and vegetables. But then there are the other half who who come in saying, look, I'm eating a really healthy diet. But when we really analyze their food log and look at nutrients, they're eating the same five vegetables over and over and over. And I mean, research shows now, I think your microbiome needs a good 40 plus foods on rotation. So can't get stuck in a rut. So I'd say it's a pretty even split, honestly. Yeah, right. And and I assume a lot of those people steer away from fermented foods like sauerkraut and kimchi and these types of foods, which would be obviously introducing these positive bacterial colonies into the gut as well. Yeah, there's not a lot of people eating those. I mean, my close friends do and they don't know what they are, but not a lot of my clients coming in are familiar with them or how to prepare them or even, you know, store-bought ones. There's a difference between refrigerated and shelf-stable Yeah, and I guess the truth is that people could be making these at home. Oh, yeah. And it's an easy... Sauerkraut is ridiculously easy to make. You really can't mess that one up. (laughs) I've tried. Yeah, absolutely. And and maybe maybe just for the listeners because I know I know when I speak at events, seminars and even with clients one-on-one and say the words sauerkraut or kimchi that people look at me like I'm speaking a foreign language. So maybe you could share with people listening what they are so people can keep an eye out when they go down to the supermarket or the farmer's market next time they get down there. Yeah, so fermented foods in general are are just that. So sauerkraut, kimchi, um, you can find other types of fermented vegetables, but those are the most common. They're just, they're fermented. That's what it is. They sit there and they develop a good bacteria. So bacteria to introduce to your gut. Sauerkraut is typically cabbage and kimchi is more of a spicy Korean type cabbage. And I always tell people, if you're going to buy it in a grocery store, make sure that it's refrigerated that's where you're going to get the good bacteria. The shelf-stable stuff, not so much. And you don't need a lot. I think that's another thing. You don't need to eat the container. You only need a couple tablespoons to really introduce that good bacteria. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, this conversation is making me hungry, and it's only 7.30 in the morning here. <laughs> <laughs> I just had some sauerkraut on my sausage, if you can believe it, but it's lunchtime here. <laughs> Oh, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. (laughs) So the allopathic diagnosis and understanding of IBS is, 
you know, it's arguably vague and inconclusive. And I'm wondering if you can talk more to the point to help us understand why it's vague and inconclusive and maybe help demystify it a little. Yeah. So that's a sore spot for me since I dealt with it. I mean, for one, there is no definitive test for IBS right now. So as I mentioned before, it's pretty much based on symptoms and ruling other things out. So they're going to test you for, you know, celiac, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's, things like that. And if they're not able to find anything else definitive, then going off of your symptoms, they're just going to diagnose you with IBS, which is fine, but it doesn't, it doesn't help anyone out. So you're diagnosed, but then what? So understanding it, I mean, I was told to cut out certain foods, and I think most people can relate to that. Maybe it's cutting out citrus or tomatoes or chocolate or coffee, but that's not always going to solve the problem. Some people are told to try Miralax or Benefiber based on their symptoms. Others are told to see a counselor. I can't tell you how many women have come to me saying, I've been dealing with this for years. I'm told that nothing is wrong. I was told to go see a therapist. And then Others are even offered antidepressants, and that was me. Those with chronic constipation, they believe, have lower levels of serotonin, so they're going to throw antidepressants at you or other type of medications. But the issue with all of this is it doesn't address the root of the problem. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Ah, yeah. And this seems to be the theme of allopathic diagnosis is that it doesn't deal with the cause. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> and yeah, that's interesting that they prescribe antidepressants. What a bizarre connection to draw between the two problems. Yeah, it's actually quite common. Like I said, they believe that those with constipation, at least, not IBSD, but IBSC, have lower le- levels of serotonin. So by boosting that, then hopefully the IBS symptoms go away. But Again, it's it's not really getting to the root of the problem. Why do you have chronic constipation? If your serotonin is low, why is your serotonin low? Yeah, right. So it's kind of like that old adage, it's it's a matter it's a matter of correlation doesn't equal causation kind of thing. Exactly. 
So if anyone that is experiencing this type of thing and been given this diagnosis and, as you're suggesting, are probably still feeling pretty shitty with symptoms persisting and not feeling well, what is the best path to take in an attempt to fix those issues? Yeah, so there's a few things that I suggest. I mean, first off, the diet needs to happen first. You know, I see so many people just in IBS support groups and myself looking back, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I was told to cut out those certain foods, but those were not my triggers. Those have never been my triggers. So start with an elimination diet or even a modified elimination diet. And if you're not familiar with what that is, in a nutshell, it's taking out some foods for about four weeks, usually gluten, dairy, corn, soy, sometimes eggs, sometimes nuts and seeds, just depending on how bad your symptoms are and really how <laughs> how bad you want to make these changes. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> or how willing you are really is what I should say. But cut those foods out for four weeks and then slowly reintroduce them one at a time Sometimes once you've cut all those foods out, people notice that their symptoms start to decrease or when they start to reintroduce them, they feel worse again. So diet is number one. And then even if you go through an elimination diet and nothing results from it, you don't notice any changes, at least start adopting an anti-inflammatory diet. So stay away from factory foods as much as possible try to make 90% of your foods nourishing. You know, you get them from the earth, you hunt them, you fish them, you forage them, you grow them in your backyard, that type of thing. So diet is number one. Second, this one is not addressed often enough. And I think that it needs to be much more lifestyle, sleep and stress. Stress is a massive trigger for those with IBS. And Honestly, I didn't even learn this one myself until about five years ago because I would have high periods of stress and then all my symptoms would come back. And I'd say, well, they've been gone for years. My diet's spot on now. What's going on? But it's stress. If you are not doing something for yourself, if you're not calming down, learning to enjoy life, relaxing, you're going to have some problems. The IBS symptoms are going to come back. So you have to work on self-care, sleep relaxation, all of that stuff. And then I would say the last the last thing that should be looked at, if you've done all of the above and you are like, I'm acing it, my diet's spot on, my lifestyle, everybody wants what I have, <laughs> you might need a comprehensive because <laughs> something might be out of alignment in your gut. And that's pretty darn common. You're going to have what we call the fancy word dysbiosis. So too much bad bacteria, not enough good bacteria, and that can wreak havoc. And many times that is the root of the problem. Absolutely. The elimination diet is such a powerful tool. I'm so glad you brought it up. No one likes it, but (laughs) it works wonders. Yeah, it really does work wonders. And a common theme on the podcast is continually exactly what you mentioned at the end there, that sleep and stress, I often refer to sleep as the master health variable that all other health variables sit upon. And yeah, I mean, whether you have IBS or not getting enough sleep, or I guess not getting enough sleep can cause all sorts of metabolic dysregulation and hormonal imbalances and multiple bodily functions going in all sorts of different chaotic directions, you know, potentially including IBS, of course. And without correct sleep, 
and of course stress with people having cortisol and adrenaline running around their veins for years and years and years at toxic levels, it seems to me at least no surprise that we have people that end up with these gut problems that, you know, uh, persist or present rather in the form of what we you know diagnose as quote-unquote IBS. Exactly. And then a whole host of other issues or they question why everything happened at once and it's like, well, finally your body crashed. Those issues have been simmering for years. Yeah, absolutely. And in the context of IBS, do you have any suggestions to manage or reduce stress for those with IBS or a negative gut health scenario? Yeah. So, I mean, one of them is just honestly deep breathing. It's a simple, powerful tool. Whether you're having symptoms or not, spending some time throughout the day doing good deep breathing. And most of us are very shallow breathers. I mean, right now for the listeners, take a breath because (laughs) I bet you're going to notice that it's super shallow. So spend a moment every couple of hours and actually do like a deep belly breath, feel it in your digestive system, you know, inhale, exhale, make it take more than two seconds. Yeah. And then if you are dealing with symptoms, so if you're in pain, if you're running to the restroom, if you're in the middle of a flare, spend at least five minutes, several times a day doing some different deep breathing exercises. And honestly, you can get on Google and just type in deep breathing exercises and you're going to find tons yeah, I absolutely love that. Do you use the 478? <laughs> I've done that. I do a lot of box breathing as well. Yeah, see, I have my clients do that, especially to, well, um, firstly, to bring them into a parasympathetic state, which I guess biologically, biologically is going to help people that have an IBS situation to help them digest more effectively. But I also give that tool to people to help them rationalize their thoughts before maybe a binge eating cycle is about to play out or some type of emotional eating response, you know, to bring them back into the rational, logical thinking and that prefrontal cortex usage. I love that. That's great. It's helpful. So helpful. Um, yeah, so I could not agree more. It's a powerful exercise. I use it at least five times a day myself. So yeah, it's super powerful. I'm taking a deep breath right now, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. Now, this is probably an entire episode on its own, but where do you stand on the gluten conversation in regards to IBS? How much of a player do you find that gluten is in these types of gut issues? <laughs> So every listener is probably going to cringe right now, but I'm going to say 99% of people that I work with have some sort of gluten intolerance. Yep, I'm with you. Gluten, I mean, yeah, you're, you're right. We could talk about this all day, but in a nutshell, from my perspective, gluten has changed so much over the years that in my opinion, it's inflammatory to pretty much every person out there. Yeah, I agree. I think because we end up in this weird space because the average person that is not in the health space and looking at these things specifically in detail is sort of like, well, wheat is natural. It comes from the ground. And don't you lot say that fruits and vegetables and anything that comes from the ground is healthy. But we kind of... Uh, I guess we kind of forget that the manipulation of the wheat molecule for corporate dollar, you know, resulted in the genetically modified changes that that made it even more damaging to the human gut and microbiome. And I think that if people understood that, it would make more sense as to why gluten is such a problem. Yeah, well, you're right. That's spot on. People aren't eating ancient grains anymore. They're eating refined highly processed forms of gluten. So, oh, I'm eating whole wheat bread. That's a better option than white. 
Is it though? Because <laughs> it's still going through the same process. Yeah, absolutely. And in the lead up to this chat today, I was reading a study on gluten and inflammatory response. And it was in England, a couple of thousand people in the study that they looked at. And it was in regards to the immune response that people produced after consuming gluten. And the results showed that the celiacs were in a fairly well-defined group at the end of the spectrum, but there was still an immune response produced by the other people in the study and the marker they used was IL-15 and the human body in every single case produced an immune response to varying degrees via the IL-15 pathway, irrelevant of the physical experience that you were consciously aware was happening. So whether you had absolutely no change in your feeling or you had any discomfort, your body still mounted an immune response, whether you were aware or not. Yep. And I tell that to people all the time. They're like, well, show me, you know, show me that I'm having a response because I feel fine. My mood hasn't changed. My energy levels are great. But you're right. It's the immune response. You don't know what gluten is doing to your insides, you know, unless you get in there and even looking at a stool test, you can see some view of that. Oh, absolutely. And I guess when we are trying to help people understand more about the human body, you don't really want to know your body is mounting an immune response, right? If every time your body got the army together to fight off whatever bacteria or pathogen or thing entered the body, we would just feel tired and sick and, you know, virtually always feel like shit as the body is always working in all sorts of different micro and macro ways to defend us from things. So you really don't want to be aware as much as possible that your body is mounting an immune response, which gives credence to the idea that, you know, your body might actually be mounting an immune response to gluten and you not be aware of it. Yeah, absolutely. So we've had a great chat. And in the future, I really think we should certainly do an episode on the gluten conversation because I'm almost certain I'm going to get a bunch of messages about the fact we just touched on it. But um, before then, and in the meantime, where can everyone find you online? (laughs) I'm on Facebook. A Nourish Life Nutrition is my business page and I'm pretty active on there. And then my good old website, www.anourishlifenutrition.com. Wonderful. Thanks so much for your time. And for you listening, I'm of course going to put all of Kira's content links in the show notes below. And as usual, if you've learned anything from this episode, you know the deal. Take a screenshot of this episode, share it on your Instagram and your LinkedIn, your Facebook or whichever platform you prefer. And be sure to tag both Kira and myself and spread the love because IBS is a super common problem and we need to share more of these uh, more natural approaches to fixing those problems. Um, So Kira, before we wrap up, I want to ask, what is one piece of health information that you wish more people knew about? Mm. Honestly, that the body wants to heal. Like the body truly wants to be in balance and it will move towards healing if you help it. Too often I see people receive diagnoses, whether it's IBS or cancer, as you said, and think all is lost. This is my diagnosis. I'm going to live with it forever. Maybe I can take some medication. I might get some relief and that's it. But that's not the case. Keep digging for answers and know that your body will heal. You just have to give it the tools. So don't settle. I love that. The body wants to heal. So many layers of truth to that answer. So thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate your time and I'm super grateful for your knowledge and wisdom that you've shared here today. And thank you too for including me in your event next week too. Uh, Maybe did you want to mention that quickly before we wrap up? 
Yeah, sure. So we are, um, we, (laughs) I am co-hosting with um, a functional medicine health coach, a mini health summit. So we're doing five days of live trainings with some fabulous educators. So Maddie's on there talking about intermittent fasting, correct? Yes, I'm excited. I talked about uh, intermittent fasting on the podcast last week. So the old IF is one of my favorite topics. Perfect. And yeah, we've got somebody talking about emotional eating. We have someone talking about emotional intelligence. So basically, we're targeting different aspects of health that maybe people are not considering, but they need these for healing. So we'd love to have you join us for this event. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to being involved in that event. Yeah, we are too. (laughs) It's going to be great. Awesome. Well, that's a wrap for us today. Again, thanks for being here. I look forward to our future chat about gluten. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. We could talk about that one all day. <laughs> Might need to be a five-part series. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Kira. Thanks so much. We'll catch you soon. Okay, bye. Thank you. See ya. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use, and we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.